Hello, my name is Louise Newsom, and you're listening to the Trade and Prosper podcast channel, where we share the stories of individuals and businesses that make our communities. We believe in those that are committed to doing well by doing good, using their hands, minds, and hearts to create a better place for us all, and believe that a little sweat and a lot of sharing turns a community into a populace of prosperity. Trade and Prosper is a forum where those like-minded individuals meet to trade ideas, information, goods, and services, as well as building long-lasting relationships that enable them to expand their reach locally and also globally. On this episode, you will meet John Cox of Quirkus Cooperage, situated in High Falls, New York. John, a self-taught cooper, barrel maker, had 25 years in a wood shop before starting this business, which supports the growing craft whiskey industry in the Hudson Valley and New York State. His father and grandfather were tool and die makers, so he was not a stranger to fabricating and jig work. John, a walking encyclopedia of information, not only about the craft itself, but also its long history. Now, so you've been up here in the Hudson Valley for 11 years, so you've seen some big change. Uh, Yeah, well, actually, well, we came up here the 9-11 in 2003, so we've been here, yeah, almost 15 years. I've been here 15 years, yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of change. After 9-11, there was a huge exodus up here to where we're at. We're an hour and a half outside of New York City. You can get on a trailway bus and be at your job uh, early in the morning. So after 9-11, there was an exodus of uh, young people uh, up here um, and different craftsmen. And we've all sort of stewed around up here. And now we're seeing another wave that uh, probably started around 2014. You know, you have hungry artists and musicians who can't afford uh, the East Village anymore. I remember in the East Village, they raised our rent to $700. Who's going to pay $700? (laughs) I think that apartment's like $3,200 now. Yeah, for for a little box. (laughs) Yeah, so there's a lot more people coming up here. uh, Both sides of the river. We're Mm. here on the Hudson River, um, Dutchess County, and the other side of the river um, uh, is also experiencing the same so that's good. Uh, people bristle up here. There is a, uh, we definitely see the political uh, stage being played out with uh, older, um, you know, Republican people and younger, more Democratic, progressive people. And there's been a clash. Some people feel like the people are moving up here from the city and gentrifying it and raising taxes, which probably is true. But uh, people have been coming up to this area from New York City, you know, for. 200 years. Well, right. And of course, in this whole revitalization of upstate New York and the Hudson Valley, I mean, it's a really important thing that has to happen. Yes, it is. And, uh, you know, we're an agricultural, we've always been an agricultural and industrial uh, outlet to the city. You know, even in the 18th century, the wood that was coming out of the Catskills and the concrete that was coming out of our neighboring town, Rosendale, uh, literally built New York City. Um, They've always tapped into this area so right so well now who i mean i just want to get into a little bit of your business you know the challenges right i mean you you you, john you're obviously incredibly talented (laughs) i'm sitting in in your workshop here and it's just amazing and beautiful and just what happens in here is 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 wonderful but, you know, you're running a business and you're running a small business. Running a business, yeah. So um, it has its pluses and minuses. Uh, before we were doing custom fabrication, you know, we were basically service industry. Uh, we were uh, bidding on jobs, looking at drawings and then fabricating. 
and that has its ups and downs. And now we're kind of manufacturing, you know, making a widget. Um, I have control of that widget and the design of that widget, and I'm not reading plans that were drawn by an architect. So that has its pluses, but um, I need to be able to produce more barrels than I already do if I want to survive. I'm in the process of upgrading some of our machinery and uh, trying to get to where we can get at least 12 to 20 barrels a week out the door. And we need to hire some more people. The research and development part was so long and it really took us a long time to get on our feet. We've made about 200 barrels since then, but we're ready to start going into you know, production. Yeah, and, and I mean, the profit margins, right, on the barrels? Really tight. I mean, we only get a few hundred dollars. To most distillers, these are Dixie cups. Right. Uh, they need some Dixie cups, and in two years, they're going to get rid of those Dixie cups and get some more. I'm lucky that I have a client who enjoys our handmade cask and is willing to pay a certain premium for that handmade piece. And the same happened when we had a large-scale cabinet shop, okay? Uh, if someone needed a bookcase, they can go to Ikea and get a Billy bookcase, completely functional, it's fine, you can take care of it, it'll stay there for a long time. Or some clients wanted a handmade custom cherry library. So that's sort of our client base here with the distillers. You know, we're going up to distillers that want more of a handmade thing and, and who have the, the deeper pockets to afford it. You know, they're small struggling distilleries and their profit margins are also tight. So they can't put a lot of money into cooperage. They are able to resell the barrels. And we're all also introducing uh, recouping. In Europe and in Napa, it's a large industry of recouping wine barrels, and that means to scrape the interior of the wood, sand it down, retoast it, and revitalize that barrel, which in some cases, you know, a 59-gallon Hungarian oak barrel is a great thing, and if you've used it two or three times, you've pretty much tapped it out. So we can go in and recoup it, and, you know, and get some more life out of it. And that sounds like of like a really great way to go. And I know we've talked about this yeah, before, yeah. but that has its challenges as well, because putting it back together and making sure it still has its integrity is... Absolutely, <laughs> yes, because I don't know what I could be getting. Um, you know, uh, I like, I'm doing it right now for clients who I trust, who I know that they're freshly emptied. You know, they haven't been sitting on a loading dock for 15 years or, you know, it didn't have a leak before, That's right. but it was functional. And again, I keep mentioning the leaks because, you know, we're like the Jedi here. This is like a <laughs> Jedi mind trick to get these barrels to hold it. And like the Jedi, we use force, the force. And we force <laughs> the rings down on these barrels. And if we've milled our staves properly, uh, it'll hold. But because there's no glue or screws, um, everything has to be lined up uh, rather tightly. Hmm. So finding assistance. Yes. Difficult, right? I mean... I had no idea. I thought I was going to put a shingle outside and we'd be beating them off. Line up, boys, one at a time. We'll see you. And it's not that. And... Um, I'm surprised when people come into my wood shop and say, oh, math, boy, do I have to read a tape measure? Oh, really? Yeah, and that's like, that's you know, going so into sad. a kitchen and saying, you know, I don't like standing next to heat. Right, <laughs> you, you know? have to cook in here? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's going to be some problems. So it, it's been very difficult. Um, it's a good, solid manufacturing job, but to be honest, it's loud. Um, we're not making harmonicas. These things are heavy. <laughs> the machinery is heavy. We're not making pillows. So uh, it takes a certain uh, mindset. Uh, you know, it's repetitive work. Uh, there is math involved. And it's fun and it's, uh, it's rewarding. But it has been very hard to find people who want to work with their hands. Um, 
What about, do you have any relationships with like any local schools? Uh, yep, I've had a school come in and I did have, um, I did have a young man come in, but they all do landscaping in the summer. So they're like, oh, I can hang out for a while, but once summer starts, I'll be landscaping, which, you know, I understand. Um, I have recently reached out to a veterans uh, a, um, society, or I don't know what it's called, the uh, Veterans Alliance, um, see if maybe I can get some guys in here. I think uh, military guys would be uh, well suited. You know, you're you're operating a machine all day. You need to maintain that machine, be able to take it apart, be able to keep it, you know, lubricated and maintained. And I think uh, some aspects of uh, the military people uh, do that either with equipment or weaponry. Um, so I'm looking into that. I have a great assistant, an apprentice, and um, we're able to do a lot, the two of us. That's great. And what about the marketing side of your business? The marketing side is definitely, I mean, I, I do not have much time to do it. Right. <laughs> and uh, I do, I curate my Instagram page. And you know, what we do is very visual. And uh, I've used Instagram. Uh, Instagram, you know, 15 years ago, if we built a dining table for you, let's say, you know, we could barely get a picture of it in the shop, or we had to put up a backdrop, or we need a photographer, oh, yeah. or maybe you can get on the website, which we don't really have. And it was such a rigmarole. And you know, we're working in an apartment that's under construction. They're, they're not necessarily going to let us back in three months later to take a picture of the table. Uh, we were lucky that the designers we worked for would have their work photographed, but it was such a rigmarole to uh, just document things or to show. Now, God, I have a you know, a barrel with a clamp on it or anything. And just people love process. They want to see process. And back then we didn't know it. And if we had Instagram back in the 90s when we had our shop, I think we would have probably gone in a much different direction. It would have been much easier to market. So that being said, I do use it. I'm able to reach out immediately to a distiller or to the owner of the company uh, through Instagram. They're able to see what we do. In fact, my website probably needs to be upgraded because um, I spend more time on the Instagram. But it tells a narrative, and uh, I try to keep my sense of humor a part of it. And, um, and people can see what job. we're doing. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had fun with it. Your Instagram's great. Now, I mean, as far as like your carbon footprint, I mean, you're trying to keep... I mean, what's your actual radius that you're trying to cover here? Yeah, I mean, I don't have to go far. You know, we're trying to tap into the beer makers and hop farms are popping up uh, every year more and more. And there's malting and, uh, and vineyards. So I don't have to go far. I don't have to go more than a 50 mile radius of where I am. Uh, we do have a client in West Virginia, um, and we'll occasionally meet up in Jersey and, uh, and give him stuff. But the Hudson Valley, uh, I was writing for Artisan Spirit magazine, and there's Seattle. And he was like, you know, you're at the center of this whole thing in the Hudson Valley. And again, we are seeing as sort of the epicenter of places like um, Tuttletown and Copper Sea and people that have been around um, from the early beginning. And uh, like Tuttletown actually helped change the state legislation um, and made it easier for people to not only have a distillery, but to take some of the arcane bootlegging type laws off the books, make it easier for people to sell at markets and, and other venues. And Cuomo uh, also has done a lot. So it's made it a great area to be in. You know, it's agricultural, it's industrial. And again, they want to support the ancillary businesses like myself or the designers or, you know, the people who design the bottles or deliver the things or the salesmen. So there's a huge industry being built around all these distilleries. Has the state helped you? 
the state has helped me. They're very enthusiastic, and everybody loves seeing you know, somebody put a barrel together. It's like I learned a magic trick. <laughs> It's very hard to monetize that magic trick then <laughs> after they see it. But uh, yeah, um, the Hudson Valley Economic Developmental Center and uh, Mike Hines' office here in Ulster County have been very supportive to me and help spread the word. Uh, we're about to launch a uh, Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign. So that was going to be my next question, actually, oh, yeah. about your financing. Yeah, so the fine, we need some capital. You know, right. I need to keep buying wood and I need to upgrade the machinery. Pushing fairly wet white oak through blades and cutters, you know, really takes a toll on the machines. They have to be, you know, sturdy and robust. Uh, we need to upgrade some of those machines as we up our production and to get some of the tooling and tools involved. So I'm going to try it. I've seen a lot of other distilleries use it to their advantage. And uh, um, people seem to be very interested in what we're doing. And like I said, it's very visual. And, uh, and you know, I can tap into the marketplace that I used to work in. There's a lot of, of my clients back from the interiors, uh, both uh, on the architect side and the client side, who uh, you know might be interested in what we're doing and want to help support it. And they've been very supportive of me when we had the shop in the city. So we're going to try it. What do we have to lose? And we have some fun perks, and uh, we're going to give it a go-go. Well, I think that's a great idea. I mean, you showed me a beautiful uh, marketing video oh, yep. that somebody um, did for you. Yeah, we had some guys here from L.A., some young guys who were doing... They actually paid me to do B-roll here at the uh, space. They wanted pictures of hands and machines, and, uh, and they ended up putting together a really great video for me probably took them 10 minutes would have taken me you know 10 years <laughs> and uh so that was great and um yeah we're getting ready to launch yeah so i mean if you t think about i mean you've mentioned some of the adjustments that you're looking to do here yeah uh to be able to grow in in how many barrels you can produce in a day a week a month right um obviously you know financing this project, keeping it going, sustainability around all of that. Yes. I mean, we're in, I mean, how big is the space? Is it about 2,000 square feet? It's about 2,000 square feet. Yeah, we're pretty tight in here. Uh, we, we try to do the metal in the other room and uh, we do the wood cutting here. We have two rooms here. I try to bring tours in and we have a display of the tools I told you about earlier. And uh, I talk about the, uh, the history of coopering and also the history of coopering in this area, which is an amazing uh, history uh, here you know, in the Hudson Valley. And uh, I've been doing some teaching on that and talking about um, the history here of the Hudson River and coopering. So John, tell us a little bit about the history of this area. All right, so it's amazing, especially the 18th century in this area. So we're here in the Hudson Valley, and I'm in the foothills of the Catskills, which is a large wooded part of New York. In uh, the early 18th century, in about 1700s, a man by the name of Livingston, who was a judge for England and New York, was given what was called the Hardenburg Tract. It was a huge tract of land. It covered the Catskills, in Kingston area, and then on the other side of the river in Dutchess County, and then in uh, north of Columbia County, especially the town of Claremont. Uh, they built their home there, um, and it was because they had a clear view of the mountains, a Claremont. They could see the Catskills. Livingston's son, um, I believe by the name of George, realizes that the Catskills are a are a huge abundance of wood for a prospering city that's growing down at the 
bottom of the Hudson. Their idea was to bring the Palatine Germans over because Europe was having a problem with these German immigrants, the Palatines. And they brought them over here, and Livingston was going to set up an area for them so they could extract pine tar. That didn't work, but they did settle in a town called Germantown, which is right near Claremont. The son, and then his son, who later becomes Chancellor Livingston, turned the Catskills into a huge lumber yard. They build a giant mill there on the Sawkill, and they build what's the largest cooperage at the time in a small town. Um, that town they called Cooper's Lake, where the cooperage is, and that town where all the wood was coming to supply the city and to supply this growing glass industry that needed tons of birch to burn for their forges. Uh, they needed the wood for the metal forges, and it's all coming out of this town, and the town that that was built up around was named Woodstock. Hmm. The chancellor becomes a yeah, so the <laughs> chancellor becomes a powerful industrialist, and he controls um, the the commerce that's going up and down the Hudson because he controls the barrels. He cuts a road from Woodstock to the Hudson. It's now called Glasgow Turnpike. That's where the glass company was. Um, the chancellor becomes one of our founding fathers. He becomes one of the five men who writes the Declaration of Independence. And later, Jeff, and he doesn't sign the Declaration of Independence because they send him back to New York that day because New York was being invaded. Jefferson sends him to Europe to broker the Louisiana Purchase. And while he's there, he finds a young inventor who tells the chancellor, I can get your stuff up and down the Hudson much quicker with a steam-powered boat. That man's name was Robert Fulton, and Chancellor Livingston becomes the sole benefactor and investor in Robert Fulton. Um, and the first boat was actually named the Claremont, after the Chancellor's ancestral home. For the next 18 years, the two of them, Fulton and Livingston, control all the commerce that goes up and down, not only the Hudson River, but because he helped do the Louisiana Purchase, he controls the mouth of the Mississippi. And for 18 years, they run a monopoly that no boat can go up and down the Hudson or into the Mississippi Delta uh, that isn't a Fulton steamboat. Hmm. And did that impact the whaling industry as well? Um, no, but the whaling industry was hugely dependent on cooperage. Right. Um, the whaling industry and then even the crude oil industry. Um, Chancellor Livingston is dethroned as the largest cooperage by John D. Rockefeller when crude oil bubbles out of Pennsylvania in 1824. They need something to put it in, and they need barrels. And it's later on with the Standard Oil Company that Rockefeller then owns the largest cooperage in America, you know, supplying the oil. Um, we still use the term barrels as, measure, as a measurement of oil worldwide, and we use the word tons. And ton comes from a large barrel of about 90 gallons. Um, that was a ton, a T-U-N, but uh, as many tons as they could put onto a boat, and we still use those terminology from the barrel. Fascinating. Yeah. Really? And then it all died? It all died, but in this area also... Um, prohibition, right? Prohibition really helped kill it. The, there was a huge uh, other industry of what they called slack cooperage. Um, flour is coming from Rochester down the Erie Canal, and cement is coming from a town adjacent to us to the city. John Roebling builds the Brooklyn Bridge using the cement, and the foundations of everything below Canal was built uh, with our cement. 
that cement could only get to the city uh, in a wooden paper-lined barrel. Hmm. They would bust the barrel open and burn the wood when it got there. Um, but the cement industry also relied heavily on cooperage. Well, that's true, because it was for dry goods as well as... Yes, they would paper line. It didn't need to hold water, and the uh, and slack cooperages were large uh, cooperages like myself, but doing a much different thing. They were holding nails, gunpowder, flour, salted fish. They're pulling mackerel out of the Hudson River like crazy. They call it Albany beef, and they're packing it into <laughs> barrels with salt. Uh, Chesapeake oysters have become a... Uh, uh, something of interest to the northerners, and they're being shipped up from the Chesapeake Bay in barrels, and we're sending tons of commerce and nails and eggs and flour and everything. It was the cardboard box. Right. Well, I, I suppose know. it wasn't just prohibition then that affected barrel making, because it was about the packaging as well. Right. Well, if you're familiar with the Dumbo area in New York, uh, the Dumbo area is based right down the water. Walt Whitman wrote Leaves of Grass and some of his pieces from there. And that gentleman, Robert Gare, in 1902, had a giant uh, patrician business that made corrugated cardboard. He didn't invent corrugated cardboard, but he was the first large industry. And all those buildings in Dumbo were all from the Gare Company. Some of them still have it on there. And corrugated cardboard at the turn of the century changed the way we shipped and the way we packed. Uh, that led to the shipping container. And by this point, too, kegs are being made out of steel and other metals. And with prohibition, uh, that was really the death knell to the coopering industry. Hmm. Well, John, all I can say is that you can have certainly have layers to your business because you should be teaching, you should be lecturing, you should be a professor. Oh, yeah, thanks. So I do, I do a slideshow, the history of the Hudson River and where I'm at in relation to New York City is a rich, wonderful, and it's all uh, based, uh, you know, and depending on uh, the wooden barrel. Well, John, thank you for your time. I, I really appreciate it and I wish you the best of luck. Oh, thanks so much, Louise. It was really fun to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on Trade and Prosper. For more information on our organization and to listen to more podcast episodes, head over to tradeandprosper.com. Also, follow us on social media for the latest news, events, and posts about a business near you. 